Hello and welcome to Georgie's Stripping the Dipping. You're joined by your usual co-host, AMG Denz, aka Denzel Clarkson. And I just wanted to say our thoughts with Georgina at this time. We hope that she makes a speedy recovery. But the show must go on and let's get into the Jeddah Grand Prix in Saudi Arabia. So a very interesting, uh, controversial weekend in the Middle East. We were joined by the Formula One teams a week from Bahrain. And what was very noticeable on the Friday was there was a missile attack 10 kilometers away by some Yemen rebels. So to give you some political context there, there's been an ongoing war between Saudi Arabia and Yemen dating back to 2015 with an invasion and essentially one of the Aramco oil facilities in Saudi Arabia a couple of miles away from the circuit was attacked by missiles which is crazy I don't think Formula One has sustained quite a few incidents and um you know things to happen over the years we've had disgruntled uh, employees running onto the circuit during the middle of a race that protests but nothing quite like a war being held literally whilst the race weekend was happening so a lot of the teams and drivers had the concerns and rightfully so on the friday evening talks were held with the fia chief director stefano dominicali and ross braun with all the team principals and drivers raising their concerns and also, uh, just as we do the intro, we have F1 Black in the building. Everyone, I hope that you can give them a huge shout out. How are you feeling? Hello, can you hear me? I'm all right. Yes, we can. Oh, it's excellent. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good. Just, uh, yeah, just, just enjoying the last of the sun in the UK before we get a week of rain. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully said there. I absolutely agree with you. Well... Um, as we're actually doing the intro, um, did you want to introduce yourselves to some? I know F1 Black was very well known within the F1 community, but for those who don't know, what would you say that you guys do and how did you guys get into F1? Yeah, you're uh, you're referring to me like I'm a, a, a team entity. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I, I regard you guys as such. So absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so uh, I, I started the account uh, as a kind of New Year's resolution in probably like 2014 or something like I, I when I don't know if you find this but whenever you're off work you find that your brain needs something to fixate on and this was like Twitter and F1 and then I basically lay dormant uh, or just sort of responding to things uh, for a few years um, and then yeah over this winter definitely uh, my account um, and, and interaction and the amount I've posted has gone up exponentially I got into F1 many years ago, so I'm uh, not revealing my age too much by saying probably around the time, unfortunately, that Senna passed away was my first one of my first memories of F1. Okay, yeah, well, I mean, that was an exciting time. You know, you had Senna in the McLaren Honda, then goes to Williams, and then the unfortunate uh, incident of Imola happens. But yeah, it was a really um, very competitive time in Formula One in the early 90s and leading us up to what we have today. So, absolutely. And um, also... We would actually just do in the intro F1 flag and we we're speaking about the controversial circumstances of this Saudi Arabian Grand Prix and the circumstances the race was undertaken. What were your thoughts on these circumstances? Do you believe that F1 should be going to these type of countries with these ongoing issues? Is it a money grab just from the higher ups, F1, you know, like um, such as Liberty Media and obviously the FIA? Or is there maybe some proof in the pudding by going and challenging some of these uh, countries? 
It's a good question. I mean, the there's a kind of instinctive answer that says, gosh, F1 shouldn't be going to any of these countries, quote unquote, these countries. I don't know quite which those are, but, um, you know, there are issues uh, well documented about Saudi Arabian uh, human rights, uh, gender rights, etc. Um, I mean, the counter argument is that going there and exposing um, the people that live there and, and the rulers uh, to sport uh, might be an opportunity to influence um I, I mean this weekend for me it's actually just much more about safety so the i mean before uh, the missile attack near the, the the track um people were talking about human rights lewis hamilton was uh, very outspoken on that but if if you're running an event and you can't guarantee the safety not just of the kind of drivers but i'm thinking of the kind of mechanics um you know the entire circus it felt to me that maybe it wasn't wise to continue with the event. But that was just my opinion. No, I think a lot of people would second you with that opinion for sure. And I'm definitely on the same bus because um, as we were saying as well, basically the team principals and the drivers were having a meeting with the F1 chief director, uh, St- uh, Stefano Domenicali and Ross Braun, into which the talks were going on until two or three, four in the morning, which is crazy to even think that there was that much dialect and so much dialogue being had between the drivers and teams. And maybe it highlights that not all the drivers are singing from the same hymn sheet when it comes to these sort of issues hence why they couldn't kind of put more pressure on the uh, the higher-ups to maybe change their approach or do something differently about the event and i think a lot of people as well mentioned that maybe the stronger voices such as like uh, sebastian vettel was missed in the presence of this happening too what was your thoughts on that element as well yeah, that, I mean, that is a huge question. Obviously, Seb Vettel, when did he start in F1? He was doing sort of Friday practice in 20, 2006, something like that. So he's been around, or well, 07, as long as as long as long uh, Hamilton. So losing losing him uh, from that um, driver's conversation was clearly an impact. It, it's really difficult, right? Because um, without kind of uh, moral or ethical leadership from F1 or the FIA, you then... Uh, leave it up to 20 people who are competitors to ignore their competitive instinct and to all agree to leave the race. So, you know, you can imagine if you're a midfield team or a backmarker um, and a few other cars decide not to run, the instinct is to stay and to try and get the points. So it really needed, for me, it needed leadership. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. And you've hit the nail on the head there when you talk about maybe the teams and individuals having self-greed or like a sense of almost egotisticalness when they don't want to yield and they want to try and take any advantage regardless of how that comes about. When really and truly, if they were to be more united in their reasoning and their explanations for stuff, then it'd be quite different. So I absolutely agree with you on that point. That kind of leads me on to a second thing. We, we touched on the FIA there and, you know, some of the mistakes they made. I know that one your voice was very prominent during the whole um you know abu dhabi void uh, lap 58 movement as well which you know thank you know it's amazing again i think it highlights and it's a testament to how strong the fans are because ultimately it's not just the teams and drivers that make f1 it's the the fans as well that go and spend the money and invest their hard earned time and, and cash into the sport as well um we saw the, the fia make maybe you could argue two mistakes on the weekend or three 
in the F2 race, uh, we had an incident where there was a, a red flag or a yellow flag scenario, I should uh, correct. And there were two uh, utility vehicles on the circuit whilst F2 drivers were still on the circuit. That was a bit concerning and almost gave me shades to Jules Bianchi back in, I think, 2014-15. Then also in the middle of the race, um, when the safety car came out for Latifi, we then saw an incident where essentially Perez overtook or gained a, a position on science by overtaking him past the safety car line. And it appears that the FIA didn't really make a call on that. It seemed that Red Bull seemed to revert the position after the safety car when some would have argued it would have been more fair, more clear if they had changed the cars just um, during the race. And the final example I was going to give there as well, F1 Black, was um, we had this incident with the pit lane entry. So Lewis was maybe one of the unlucky drivers during that phase when uh, I think it was Alonso and Ricardo broke down literally on the pit entry. And in the past, we've seen them close the pit entry, but somehow I think it was Hulkenberg and Magnussen managed to pit, even though the pit lane entry was somewhat blocked. And then if I decided to close the, um, the pit lane entry, which seemed quite bizarre too. So the question I want to kind of put forward to you, sorry for that long rambling context was, have you, do you believe that there's been any change really with the FIA and the new race directors we've got? Do you believe that they should maybe get more time before we, we get onto them? Or do you think it's the shades of the, the previous regime? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. Uh, I mean, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to uh, be seen as less interventionalists. So they probably want the teams, you know, to settle it between themselves. If you, you go back and try and watch a Grand Prix from the 90s, I mean, I, I don't even remember. Obviously, I was I was young, but I don't really remember knowing who the race director was. Obviously, it was Charlie Whiting, but you didn't. You definitely hadn't heard his voice, and um, you, you know, he wasn't getting involved in every single race. So, I think that that's probably the new directive. They want to be less interventionist in terms of the shades of the old regime. I mean, I think a lot of the problems you described there are caused by the track layout. So, um, if you look at the uh, you know the, the vehicles on track. Um, that should have been a red flag, clearly. Um, but the reason those vehicles had to be on track is because the access road doesn't go all the way around the track. It's a very tight track. Um, the reason why the, the cars broke down or, or attempted to recover to the pits and broke down is because I don't think there is a safe place for them to stop out on the track again, uh, track design. Uh, so, so look, all, all of those things are because they've followed a design of a circuit, presumably because they want to you know, uh, agree something with uh, the Saudi government that isn't, in my view, fit for purpose. It, I don't know if you heard this, but, you know, lots of people that I talked to ahead of the race just had this feeling in their stomach, this kind of concern that something, you know, there was going to be a bad accident. And of course, we saw one in qualifying. It's so true. And I, I couldn't have um, articulated it better. I definitely agree with your sentiments there in relation to track design. It feels again that they've um, overreacted because I feel within the F1 community, we've given and bashed street circuits quite a lot. We always said that they're just boring and hard to overtake and just loads of like 90 degree corners designed by Herman Tilker and his son. But this like circuit, this um, Jeddah Cornish circuit seemed to be like, a, okay, all right, you guys think street cir circuits are boring? Cool. We're going to make the fastest street circuit. We're going to basically make it the second highest average speed. 
and it's all good but as you mentioned as well the safety provisions have to be there as well and it's paramount that they get on top of that because we don't want to be seeing casualties in the sport we have seen the f1's made quite a huge step forward in terms of the technologies and even mick schumacher was able to walk away from a really severe accident on saturday and even in previous years we've seen roman grosjean survive a quite high g impact and literally be on fire the rising phoenix and he's managed to come out of that so um, I, I definitely agree with your sentiments there as well and definitely more food for thought in the ways that they design these circuits in the future but that's going to lead me on to the next series of questions then more to just do the weekend and some of the drivers as well and these are some of georgina's questions she's asked um what are your thoughts on what happened to lewis um just to give the viewers context as well um it was later revealed to us that uh potentially lewis and his mechanics changed a couple of settings with the car they went with a particular direction with the car um between uh fp3 and quali it seemed that the balance of the car just wasn't right for him but just overall how do you see mercedes progress coming within the next couple of weeks do you think it's too late for them maybe to challenge uh, mercedes no, mercedes mercedes challenging mercedes that'd be cool it gives me shades of rosberg <laughs> and hamilton there but no i mean uh, red bull and ferrari or do you think that maybe they might be out of the running this year at this stage yeah it's a good it's a good question that last one i mean there are lots of people that will say i think i was seeing the technician uh, 44 one of the accounts i i tend to respect uh saying that it's over for the year i mean we're only two races in in the 22 or 23 race season so less than 10 percent in back you know when i started watching there were 16 races you know the points system was different um in a season with so many races and if there were three teams that were sort of competitive you could have a weekend where you perform okay um but finish sixth or fifth so I think there is still some hope, but we need to see the car moving forward. And, you know, if you think about what Lewis and his mechanics are trying to do on Saturday, clearly they they made the judgment, look, we're going to get fifth and sixth unless we try something because the car isn't there. Let's give it a go. And, um, you know, it didn't work. So it, the, the root cause uh, of what they did or why they did it was because the car isn't competitive. Um, and hopefully, hopefully that's resolved by Imola um, or maybe later in the season. I still have hope. Um, you know, he could have finished sixth yesterday um, if he was a bit luckier with the pitting. Uh, but yeah, um, it's going to be a case of waiting to see until we get to the European season. Absolutely, yeah. I totally agree with that. And just in general as well. I think it's a marathon and not a sprint. And ultimately, this championship, I don't think it's going to be like conventional championships where it's just whoever's the strongest from the beginning of the year tends to kind of carry that upward trajectory. It, it looks like this year it's going to be a development race. And whoever's going to be able to find any new in innovations, whoever's going to be able to correlate the data they have in the wind tunnel with what they have on the track real life is definitely going to make as much progress as they can. So definitely agree with you there as well. And on the topic of progress and maybe a bounce back for them, as much as I give them shade because I'm not a Red Bull guy myself per se, um, Red Bull back, back into it, you know, on, on one side, they were unlucky with Sonoda having the DNF. Um, he didn't even get to start the race or quali, which is quite concerning for him. But um, Max and Perez, Perez getting pole and Max managing to basically benefit a bit from the safety car restarts and also generally putting the pressure on Leclerc there. What was your take on their, their, their comeback and um, just the gamesmanship between him and Leclerc with the safety car restart and the DRS tactics as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, a few things there. I mean, I, 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 I don't like the way that Red Bull is operated. You know, members of their leadership, I'm not going to mention their names here, 
I think that they lack morals and ethics um, and that then cascades through the team and you see certain comments from members of their team online. But look, um, everybody thought they threw everything at the 2021 season and that they'd come here and be midfield. Uh, maybe it was wishful thinking on our part, but they have built a car that looks, uh, you know, definitely in a straight line, the fastest. Um, it's definitely, uh, you know, up there, probably level with the Ferrari. Um, so, you know, you have to give them credit. I think they signed... Um, you know, members of the Merck Aero team, you know, members of the powertrain team as well. So uh, they have a good setup. They've managed to read the regulations well. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of the race, I mean, a few things. First of all, um, I feel really bad for Checo Perez. He didn't lose the lead because of anything he did. Um, you know, it's just pure bad luck. Uh, I tend to have a soft spot for him. And, and that starts long before um, he was in Red Bull. But yeah, in terms of the dummying, it all started um, when I think um, Leclerc and his uh, race engineer were saying something like "box to overtake." You know, if that doesn't sound like um, that doesn't sound like a dummy, I don't know what is. But it clearly <laughs> tricked um, Perez to go in, and uh, yeah, Perez then lost out as a result. And then yeah, I mean, the difference between I think Lewis and Max racing versus. Uh, let's say Leclerc and Max rating is that it feels to me that Leclerc is from this kind of new, you know, I, I say this not disparagingly, maybe like a kind of PlayStation generation. So they're thinking about where they deploy the energy. They're thinking about the safety car line, etc. I know Lewis does that, but he just has, um, you know, the experience of running before that. So, um, yeah, uh, I think it was really unfortunate for Leclerc that that yellow flag happened at the end. I thought he might have been able to come back. Um, otherwise, um, you know, we saw the result. Yeah, def F1 Black, literally, I feel like you're the same person as me because you read my mind in every kind of racing point I, I made up. No pun there with racing point. <laughs> but um, you basically touched on everything I was thinking about as well because when Leclerc basically was on the radio to his engineers and he was saying, yeah, pit box, it just felt like they were doing it to dummy Red Bull into pitting early to do the undercut. And then, boom, you know, you can always trust the Williams to spice up a race. Like the Latifi wild card just comes in there and then a yellow flag comes out which really screwed Perez's race as um he pitted just before the safety car so when you're under a safety car you don't lose as much time so that's why Leclerc and uh, Max were able to come out ahead of Perez and then like you touched on as well just with the, um, the driving styles of Leclerc he reminds me quite a lot of like um like Ellen Prost in terms of his intelligence his spatial awareness his um you know just his capacity to just know where Max is he's raced obviously with Max throughout their go karting days so he's got quite a lot of experience with him I think you correctly touched on the point where for, with them it's a bit more like the PlayStation generation and they're more willing to kind of look at the rule book and explain every single thing there is like the DRS detection point where Lewis is much more of a natural racer as well as Lewis is just as intelligent as well before people take that out of context but yeah this would look uh, a lot more raw and also as well, I think it also comes from the other side. I think Max is like, he's still the aggressive bulldog he is and he's still playing a lot of mind games, like the jockeying on the safety car, the weaving on the streets and all the, the, the mental mind games he likes to play. But I think also he seems to have toned it down a bit because if people don't know, I'm sure that they'll be remiss if they um, were to find out that um, Max has the second highest amount of um, penalty points in his license. So with these new FIA directors, we're thinking that he has to be a bit more cautious with his driving or else he could potentially get a race ban. And also maybe it's a thing where I wouldn't say he respects Leclerc more, but 
he knows that Leclerc's not going to take any of his crap. Whereas I feel with Lewis, it was always a kind of either we we you yield with me or you crash. And because he knew that Lewis was more experienced, more willing to play the long game and let him take the track position, so he so he could potentially pull off a strategy kind of a um, card there. That's maybe why he's more aggressive with him as well. But absolutely agree with your points there too. And then moving it a bit into the midfield as well, we saw an awesome battle in the midfield with the likes of K-Mag, Danish Viking. We saw um, Alpine having some really teeth-biting moments with the two drivers there. And again, you're quite a, a veteran, um, you know, a viewer of the sport F1 Black. I wanted to just get your thoughts on team orders because it's something that's not new in the sport. We had it during the early 2000 days of Barrichello and Michael Schumacher. Uh, when it came to championships, we also saw a bit of it with Mercedes and, um, you know, Lewis and Rosberg or Lewis and Valtteri. And even also Red Bull with um, Mark Webber and Seb with Multi-21. That's very infamous. But um, do you think that team orders are... What, what are your thoughts on team orders, essentially? Because they're pros and cons, I guess. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, and apologies if you heard some background noise. Uh, my youngest son... Uh, was uh, coming up the stairs and singing to himself. So apologies if that comes out <laughs> on the recording. <laughs> but um, you get to meet the whole F1 Black family. Look, um, hey. I think yesterday, without without those team, uh, sorry, with team orders, we wouldn't have had some of the most entertaining racing we saw. So like from a neutral perspective, I loved it. Um, you know, the, the, the two cars racing freely. Um, but, you know, thinking again about the team or individual drivers, they backed each other up. Um, and, you know, Alonso, uh, his race ended because his car overheated. So there's a question about whether all that battling had a had a hand to play. So, yeah, as a, as a spectator, fantastic. Um, ban team orders. Uh, but, you know, yeah. as a competitor, I think probably it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you on that because they were battling each other so hard. It was actually pulling Valtteri into that kind of train. And then what was funny is... Uh, like I was looking really closely at Valtteri's dash and the Alfa Romeo's are quite quirky because they get a message on the dashboard which um, in Guan Yu's case it says engine is very hot and then on Valtteri's steering wheel this says engine is hot with black and white text which I thought was quite funny so um, yeah it seemed to just kind of like bring them a bit closer to the uh, the rear of the point scorers and runners and riders there but like you said it's, it's so entertaining to watch because these are two drivers that are in two completely different positions of their career you've got a Alonso, which is a seasoned veteran, a two-time world champion, he's back because he was promised under these new regulations to be able to fight for a championship. Seems slim for now, but you know, we never know what's going to happen in the future. And then you've got Ocon, which I think has been a really remarkable driver. He did quite well, I believe, in his manor days in 2014. Um, he was part of the Mercedes F1 program or junior program. Unfortunately, he missed out to George Russell and then, you know, went to Pastures Green when he took a year out and then joined Renault and Alpine. But um, they're fighting for two different things. I wouldn't expect them to be any different to each other. And I think also just from a commercial point of view, it must be so awesome for BWT and their sponsors to have that amount of track time. Because whilst they were battling, I think the race directors missed a lot of other overtakes that happened in the circuit. But that particular battle in the field seemed to be really amazing. So yeah, um, lots of talking points there as well. And just some intriguing uh, talking points raised in that sense too. Also, um, moving to the next race, because we've got like a two-week break, I think, as well, F1 Black. What are your expectations for the Australian um, GP? And for a team like Mercedes, do you think it's enough time to turn things around? 
Uh, yeah, it's a good good question. I mean, just on on quickly on that point of Ocon and Alonso, I see Alonso's return a bit like Schumacher's return in 2010, and I think he might play a role in developing the car. But I can't see that um, that Renault or Alpine, as it's called now, um, being world championship level. Um, in in Australia, I mean, I think it's one of those long haul races where it's unlikely teams will bring sort of massive uh, upgrades. It could be that they crack something in the simulator and you set up. Um, but I personally wouldn't expect to see um, the Mercedes any higher up than third uh, in terms of uh, constructors. Um, but you never know. Um, it's not one of my favorite tracks, I have to say. I think even before COVID, they did some remodeling uh, of turns one and two uh, and maybe one at the back of the track. Um, so there might be a little bit more overtaking. And we'll have to see how these new cars get on as well, uh, which are apparently closer to easier to follow. Yeah, I, I actually agree. And, you know, it's an interesting one with Australia because it's not renowned for being an over, overtaking circuit. It, it's quite kind of you file into one and then it's either whoever tries to pull the undercut or strategy game tends to get rewarded with the biscuit on that one. But yeah, hopefully, like you touched on there, the revisions to the circuit helps promote overtaking organically. We see a bit more battles. Um, it's been so intriguing just to see just how closer the cars are this year because I think, and I want to get your thoughts on as well when we first saw the cars at testing we we're like oh my god they look so cumbersome and clumsy and you can see that the, the error is not really helping the cars slow down in the slow speed corners but then in racing context it's kind of putting more emphasis on the driver's skills and abilities and also it means that even if you overtake somebody you also have to then prepare to defend because it's not quite over as we saw with the k-mag and lewis battle that went on from like turn 27 into turn one as well yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, what you need is a succession of corners that allow cars to race side by side. I think there are a couple of those in uh, in Melbourne, probably not as many as we saw over the weekend or in, in Bahrain. Um, but yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen, these new cars, what they're going to do. It could be uh, completely different. And, you know, thinking about one of the big talking points of the weekend which uh, and last weekend, which is, you know, the Mercedes power unit, um, whether... They're down on power. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see the extent to which power is as important at Melbourne as it was um, in the previous two races. That's so true, because again, with Melbourne, you'd think it's like a medium speed, medium downforce circuit. It has some streets, but it's not as ridiculous as like what we've had in Jeddah or Baku or China or any of these other circuits. But even on the topic of circuits, then, just to kind of go on the kind of fantasy aspect of it, F1 Black, if you could, if we could remove Jeddah and all these controversial tracks and maybe go to a pre-existing track that we've been in before, but we, we don't race at now currently, or just, just a new country that we've never been to before, where would you want to pick and, and what would you go for? Gosh, there's so many answers. I mean, first of all, I would uh, the answer one would be don't add any races in, just have 16 races in a season. But I know that that's not realistic with the current owners. Um, but yeah, think, thinking about circuits that I've enjoyed, um, you know, I like uh, the tracks in Germany. I think Hockenheim uh, can make for interesting racing. Uh, Nürburgring, if you go at the right time of year, um, again, I think um, you know there's a glaring omission if you look at the continents that F1 races on of Africa um, I, I didn't quite um, start watching F1 when Kailami was um, available I think they've made upgrades there I think they've got their A license uh, all the requisite um, licenses to, to hold a sort of premier FIA event so I'd be interested to see an event in Africa 
Um, but yeah, I, it, it really depends. Um, in terms of races that they've never, you know, circuits they've never raced on, there are a few in America. I know they want to crack uh, the US market and they're making street circuits and, and so on. I mean, people have always talked, can they do Laguna Seca? It's quite a short track, mm. but it's got this turn on it called the corkscrew. I don't know if you've seen yeah. it, but I think that would be it quite mad. Down, down, doesn't it? It's still off-combat. Yeah. <laughs> No, like you, you made some really great points there, and again, like I'm just, I'm just like you're like my spiritual animal, F1. Like, <laughs> like, like I feel that you've lived through me in a sense as well. I'm probably not as old as you, and I, I know you don't want to reveal your age, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I remember like Thanks. the days of Hockenheim where it was like the remember when they had the long straight with the, the kind of village mm. tree section, and then you touched mm. on Nurburgring there as well, and I'm not quite sure it would probably be the best for overtaking or. Thing, but just as a one-off exhibition, how cool would it be to see the cars go around like the full Nord Slifer? <laughs> It'd be so crazy, yeah. like kind of going back to the Nicky Lauda days, you know, um, you know, rest in peace to him as well, because he's a legend. And then, yeah, um, you touched on the African market, and I think there's definitely expansion there, worthwhile. You've got Kailami, which we've seen that the GT3 guys go over there, the World Endurance uh, guys go over there as well. So if they could maybe upgrade the FIA safety license and, and make it more suitable for the generation of cars as well without killing the identity of the circuit, then I believe that would be beautiful and also really nice shout out for Laguna Seca there. I remember playing that quite a lot on uh, the good old PlayStation 2 on Gran Turismo. And, uh, you know, the corkscrew is like one of the most unbelievable corners. It's like when you go down that kind of like hill with the runoff and it's so mm. on the limit and you barely see anything. It'd be a great, um, I think, technical test for the teams too, just to see if the cars bounce, how they be behave, how they perform. So absolutely crazy, yeah. I, I definitely agree with you on that one. Well, F1 Black, we're, we're going to come close to the end of this one because I'm conscious of taking up your time. But a couple of more questions I wanted to ask is um, we know that and we're quite aware that you do a lot of writing as well. Are, are there any pieces that you're looking forward to doing like um, in the future, if you could give us insight into that? And what would you say favorite piece that you've written so far that um, you know us fans can go and check out if we haven't seen it before? Yeah, it's good. It's a good question. I mean, um, it really depends. I, I, I do a bit of writing for my day job. I'm not a journalist or anything like that. But um, when something happens in F1 that I'm truly passionate about, um, then, you know, that's that's when I enjoy writing it. So I think the first piece that I wrote for the 44, I can't quite remember the title, but was about um, the aftermath of Abu Dhabi. Um, and it sort of summarizes what happened then. Um, you know, the, the most recent couple of pieces I've written were around qualifying and and um, and also the announcement of um, human error uh, as the reason <laughs> why Max Verstappen is the champion. Um, so you can check those out at the44.org. Uh, but honestly, looking ahead, it really depends what happens. I don't necessarily have any set agendas about things I'm trying to push. I just want uh, a sport that's entertaining. I want to see the best drivers racing. I want to competitive but I also just want fairness. So, you know, uh, when I see those things impinged upon, then I'll I'll write something. Oh, well, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think I need to take this opportunity as well, from Blood, to just give you huge shouts and just commend you for this. Because for many years, I've always said that Formula One's felt like a bit of a billionaire boy club, like exclusive 
club in a sense and it was always that you get the news from one particular like angle or narrative and it sometimes didn't encapsulate the real truth or what's really behind the visor to say but again it's mm. amazing to have the emergence of real life people like you that you know understand it from our point of view as the fans you're able to kind of find that perfect synergy of like finding the facts and covering everything in a really informative way as well and not shying away because again unlike maybe you know Paul Restor or any of the F1 pundits in Sky where you could argue maybe <laughs> they, they put their own kind of personal interests above kind of the integrity of what the fans would want with more pure and organic writers like yourself you just say it as it is like i wouldn't say well there is no filter but in a sense it's not bashing or being disrespectful it's just mm. being honest and having an honest conversation and you know a fan like me and i'm sure many of the listeners can appreciate that as well because it's not spoken about enough and now these days you have um series like drive to survive and i'm not gonna i've already had quite a few <laughs> rants on this one so i won't go down a, a rabbit hole of that again but you know it seems that these new mediums are championed a lot more but there's nothing to me that beats a good like well-structured well-articulated article by you know somebody like yourself that has the know-how knows how to put those points across as well so again huge shout out to you and i continue to wish you the best of uh, success with that and we're going to be rooting for you and make sure as well everybody that you, you check f1 blog on twitter um, at the end as well before we sign off I'm, i'll make sure that you shout out all your handles so we can check that out as well and then last bit um before i waffle like a, a dutch waffle house Predictions for the um, Australian Grand Prix. Who would you say is going to be on pole? Who's your top three? And um, what do you think will be the quirk of the race? Just like, what do you think will be a random thing that will happen during that race? Yeah, good question. And uh, before I answer it, I think you've uh, you've done you've gone full circle. At the beginning of the interview, you were sort of picking me up, and I think you've done it again. I'm very grateful and very uh, bashful, but. Um, you know, what what happened over the winter was a movement of many people, yourself included, um, you know, and I was, you know, don't want to big up the FIA at all because they don't deserve it. But I was shocked that they admitted that um, the outcome was because of a rule not being followed. Um, they didn't do anything about that. But, you know, I honestly don't think that without that concerted pressure from everybody um, that that would have been uh, done. They were trying to say it was a misunderstanding. So. You know, I should give credit to you and everybody else that was involved. Too many people to, to mention. Um, for, for Australia, looking ahead, um, I've, I've probably put my money on Ferrari. I just have a feeling that there are some sort of medium and slow speed corners. Uh, and I, I got the, I sort of heard in the first race that all the Ferrari engine cars were, were saying that they had great drivability. So low end uh, traction out of slow speed corners. I could just see uh, Leclerc probably winning that one. But you never know. I mean... Uh, it really depends. We've got a safety car that changed the result uh, this time. And, and in terms of a quirk, um, you know, Haas, before they became a backmarker team, always used to race well uh, in, in Australia. I think they would have had some fifths and sixths if they hadn't, if they'd uh, put their tyres on properly a few seasons ago. So, <laughs> I remember um, that. That sadly. was a meltdown. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, good to Steiner. I mean, I, I, I hope... I hope that they get a good a good position because I, I worry about their ability to keep up in the development race. So hopefully they score some points and that might be my quirk of the race. 
Absolutely, and a great point there as well because listen, I'm here for the Haas progression as well. It's so beautiful to see. This is again the prime example of when you leave a toxic relationship, how you can flourish because they just dropped Nikia Mazepin and his dad, you know, and left all the bad vibes from 2021. And it's almost as if like they've just basically uh, picked up the baton from 2020 when they had K-Mag and Grosjean. Now they've got Mick and they're consistently challenging. But I think you're correct and absolutely right as well to point out that we can't get too carried away. And they as well themselves don't want to get basically um, too complacent because it is a development race. And if you don't continue to try and make strides to keep up and to move forward, you find yourselves at the back. And... I fear, I really hope it's not the case, and I hope I'm not jinxing them, but their position kind of reminds me of Williams in the early 2014 season when uh, Mercedes had like the OP engine and, you know, any customer that had a Mercedes engine, they were guaranteed at least like a top six. And then as the years progressed, it became less about mm-hmm. having the drivability and advantage of the engine and more about refining the aerodynamics and trying to find different things you could do with the car to, to add to that sustained uh, performance. So I absolutely agree with you there as well, FM Black. But uh, again, could you please uh, shout out your details uh, you know, for people to follow you, where they can find you uh, before we wrap this one up? Of course, yeah. So it's at F1 Black, so B-L-A-G. Um, I, you can see my articles at the 44, so the-44.org, uh, and their handle is, I think, at underscore the 44, uh, just using the letters. Yeah, um, you know, I'm not not a professional. Um, I'm just a fan. I love F1. As I say, I want it to be a kind of a fair sport. Um, I, I've watched Lewis Hamilton since the start of his F1 career and want him to have the opportunity to sort of make hay while the sun shine and not be held back. So. Yeah, uh, look me up there and uh, look forward to sort of interacting online. Oh, excellent F1 Black. Well, listen, you said you're not a professional, but I still think you're more professional than the professionals. So we're just going to add that one inside there as well. But uh, it's been so amazing to have you on. I definitely believe that Georgina, and if not Georgina, me, I definitely want you back in the future episodes because you've been a pleasure to. to talk to. So informative. You have a great voice as well, man. Like, you really cut out for this <laughs> thing, man. So uh, it's so great to have you. But yeah, I'll sign off this um, episode of the podcast then. It's been your boy, AMG Dens. I'm on fire like Gasly, but in the streets, they call me Planting Piastri. And also, shout out to one of the greats, um, Georgina Donna. We really hope that she gets better fairly soon and that we can hear her lovely, chirpy voice in the future episodes when she recovers. But uh, until next time, I hope that you guys have an amazing week and uh, you guys don't miss the F1 too much until we're back next time. But until then, um, peace and love to everyone. And thank you again, F1 Black, for joining us in this episode.